Welcome to the Merit Gold Teachers podcast. We're back with more ideas to help teachers like you embrace well-being, kick emotional exhaustion to the curb, and thrive personally and professionally. Yeah, that's right. We are your flower pot of fabulousness. Oh, flower pot of fabulous. I like that. <laughs> I'm Rebecca. And I'm David. We're teachers, coaches, and creators with over 25 years between us in the classroom. So we definitely know what it's like to try and balance life at home and at work. And in this episode, we're going to look at the struggle that teachers have with their work-life balance, but more importantly, how we can fix it. We can share our experiences and we can offer you some strategies to make sure that you can have a life both in school and outside of school. So today's episode is all about work-life balance. That's a pretty big topic, David, but... We've both had real issues with this in the past. It could be the types of subjects we teach or just a busy demanding timetable or other responsibilities across the school. But we've had a real struggle with this between us. However, it's something we really do need to manage and negotiate. And it's a really important way to keep people in teaching if they have a work-life balance and a plan to negotiate around the tricky bits in their life. And a lot of that can be organisation. It can be planning. It can be a lot of things. But first, we've got to realise what the bits that are difficult are before we can then unpick it and fix it. What were your difficulties with your work-life balance? I think you're right about it being slightly to do with the subject that we both taught. And that's drama. So we were doing whole days of, of academic work and then rehearsals and production work in the evenings. And that kind of inevitably has a knock-on effect for your work-life balance. And like most teachers, you know, we've got, we've still got all that kind of marking stuff to do, maybe to be fair, not quite as much as others do in other departments, but we've got a fair share and we've got all that evening stuff as well. So I think if you're the kind of person that's got the potential to get stressed and to not manage their work-life balance very well, then probably teaching drama is not a good thing. I think the main thing for me really was that I allowed myself to get really, really stressed and anxious. And I don't know, I still really to this day don't know quite why I allowed it to happen, but I kind of think it's because I just felt so like dedicated to the job and so I felt it was so important to be the best teacher I could possibly be that I threw everything I could at it and sort of forgot that I, I also existed outside of school. And I know that sounds like a, a bit kind of fanciful, but I think Probably for me, it was true. And probably for quite a lot of teachers, uh, the focus becomes all about your professional capability. It becomes all about making sure that you give the very best of yourself and to your students and you leave a bit of yourself behind, really. I think it got to the point where I could probably realistically say I didn't have a social life. I had a family life. Uh, you know, I would go home, I would be with a kids uh, i'd see my wife would spend time with one another you got the holidays and all those kinds of typical things that teachers experience and say but i i genuinely think i just my social life just broke i forgot how to do it because i wasn't giving myself the time to because as soon as the kids went to bed i was i was working again at home uh, and i think i didn't really notice that at the time but it's more it's more since i've realized and since things have changed for me a little bit where I kind of go, actually, I didn't really fulfill any of the obligations I had to myself outside of teaching. And that, that wasn't very healthy at all. 
And I think I got a bit blind to it. Like I was blind to how much work I was doing in a way. And I don't mean I, like I wasn't doing lots of work. I think I probably was doing loads, but I was sort of just a bit blind to how much I was doing and how much of an impact it had. And I was a bit of a perfectionist and, and I guess still am in many ways, but I think that combination of not having a lot of awareness about yourself, about being really committed and dedicated, but letting it go too far and just being a bit of a perfectionist is probably a really, like a really dangerous combination of things when it comes to trying to get work-life balance. There is no stop. There's no end of the list. There's always something to do. And I just found myself always being a teacher and never being a person. And that wasn't sustainable in the long term. I can completely agree and understand where you're coming from. I definitely wouldn't call myself a perfectionist, like you would call yourself one. But I would say that any teacher, regardless of being a perfectionist or not, still wants everything to be right for other people. And whether that's the department that you run or the person that shares a class with you or the kids in your class, it means you carry on going a bit longer because they have to rely on you to do something and to enable them to do something. I think it's really interesting to look at teaching as you have to have your work at home with you as well. We don't have to, but we do end up taking it home. And as you said, you, you lost who you were first. I think every teacher at some point says, I'm a teacher. When someone says, what do you do? Who are you? What are you? You can never be anything but a teacher. And everyone says, oh, it's a lifestyle choice. It's a calling, it's an everything. but that doesn't mean you have to forget everything you are. And as you said, speaking about your family or your children or your partner, that's really hard when you can't see the line between teacher and husband, wife, mum, father, friend. When you're taking all your work home and your kids see all of your work too, they start to forget that there's a line as well. My child asked me why I didn't have my laptop doing my work the other day because they were so used to seeing me at home on the sofa with my laptop. I'm getting so much better at it. But I had to say to, to them, which was really great, I haven't taken my laptop home tonight because tonight's not work time, it's us time. And it felt amazing. I can't change that I'm a teacher. I can't and don't want to change the subject that I teach. And even when I did teach in English as well as drama, the challenges are still different. I'm either in a rehearsal or I'm marking books till the cows come home. So there's different pressures everywhere, as you said. But I can't change that situation. That's the job role. And they're the subjects that we teach. And that's the things we specialize in. All I can do is maybe change my mindset to how I can look at that. I'm going to just jump in with two quick things because... You referred to people saying that teaching was a lifestyle choice. And that's possibly the most yeah. terrifying phrase I've ever heard anybody say. Um, it's subtext for you won't have a life. That's basically what that is, right? And, completely okay, isn't it? And, to not have a life. Yeah, it normalizes it. And that's the other thing I found when I was really struggling with work-life balance was that I had normalized the expectation of work being paramount and continual and never ending. And so because I had normalized it, my family normalized it, everyone around me did, and it became the norm. And that was deeply shocking when I realized I was, I was probably wrong about that. But it was, it was quite, quite a shock when that happened. Because if I didn't have that, what did I have? And of course, I've got a 
bountiful range of wonderful things in my life. I just wasn't looking at. And if you put that barrier up because you say to everybody, well, I'm a teacher, that immediate mindset to say, well, that means you can't invite me to places or I will never be free. It means that people stop asking you as well. I was always annoyed that I couldn't go and see my, my friends on an evening out. The particular evening they had, I was working and they stopped asking. That made it really sad. Or my, or my partner saying, I'm going to bed. You'll be up later or you'll be up in a minute. And he just stopped asking. He used to just walk off and go to bed because he knew I was going to be hours yet. And I'm not willing to do that anymore. And I, I won't let other people think that that's the way they have to live their life for the rest of their teaching career. Nor should you want to stop teaching just because of thinking there isn't a work-life balance. If you want to teach and you want to be a teacher and you love what you do, it's okay to be a teacher at school and a friend, a partner, a parent outside. But it's really hard. It's easy for us to say that. And we'll look in a second at how we can go about making some of those changes. But do you think that's achievable for a teacher, given the workload and the pressures and the demands on, on any teacher at any age of student across the country and across the world, I guess? Do you think teachers can have that kind of existence? Because most, most don't. And so I, I figure if most don't, then probably it's for a very good reason. What do you think? Can we do that? Can we achieve it? I think the more of us that are willing to say, actually, I'm going to have a little bit longer to mark that, or actually, I'm afraid I can't do that. I don't take my work home there. You saw me the other week delete my emails off my phone on a meeting with you, and I haven't put them back on. I also deleted the other apps that I use for work off my phone, and now I have nothing, and it's been a whole week, and I feel glorious but there is still a part of me that is incredibly anxious about it. And that's the bit where people are going, I don't think you can do this, guys. I don't think there is a work-life balance. But the more people in a school that can say, actually, I don't do that, or I just need a little bit more time, or I need to manage this, or actually, I'm off to see something at the cinema tonight and I won't be marking your books. I'm not taking them home. Because actually, when I told my students the other week that I needed a few more days because on the Saturday I spent time with my child, one looked really surprised that I had to apologise. Because I shouldn't have to apologise. And she went, I, I hope you had a great time. So I did, but it meant you're going to have a couple more days to wait. And they said, fine, we understand. And this gets us back to mindset, right? Yeah. And I think for me, the idea of I mean, the idea of changing my mindset as a teacher was, was pretty revolutionary and daunting because I was kind of so entrenched in the way that I work and believed that it was the only way I could work in order to function well, that, that the idea of changing my mindset was quite scary. But I think the important thing to remember is that you can't, you know, you can't change the situations that you're in very easily. You can't necessarily change the factors that are happening around you, the things that are impacting on you, but you can change the way that you respond to them. For me, it was about, okay, if I'm going to think differently about stuff. If I'm going to be less stressed, if I'm going to have more of a balance between my life and my work by almost not taking things so seriously, 
how am I going to do that? What is the thing that's going to help me do it? And for me, it was, well, if I have to do a job which is going to eat into my time and affect potentially my work-life balance, how can I make that job of value to me? Not just my students or my school or my department or, or whoever else is involved, but for me as a person, not as a teacher, how do I do that? So, for instance, I would look for new skills or new pieces of software that I could learn about that would help me to do a job better, but would also aid my own development as a person. Yeah. I would look for an online course maybe, or even just a teaching strategy actually that allowed me to, to think in a new way. And I would kind of count that as personal development almost. It was quite helpful to think, well, I'm getting something of value out of this that I will keep for myself. And therefore it's less of a divide between work and life and a little bit more for me. And, and that just worked. It's seeing something as an opportunity, isn't it? It's going from, I've got to do this to, I know I've got to do some of this, but what else am I getting out of it? Yeah, exactly. So you have to do inset. Uh, for like two hours after school. No, I, I remember we, we had a colleague once who every single inset that they had to do, they would have a little ear, earpiece in and they'd bring a newspaper and they would listen to the cricket and they would read the newspaper. They had no interest in that inset being of value to them, which is completely the opposite to kind of what we're talking about, really. There's times when both you and I have been mentors and buddies to various people. And again, that kind of eats into our, our time. But I always used to view that as, well, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to be a buddy, then I get to have a fundamental and profound impact on this person's life and work. I get to help them work with balance and with ambition and, and find the right path if they possibly can. And I get to learn from this person. Because this person's going to have experiences, this person's going to have approaches or ideologies or a life or a way of looking at things that I've never encountered before. What can I learn from them that's going to enrich me? You know, on, on any level, I think that, that idea of looking for opportunity and value works. I always knew if I was going to be a mentor, they'd be outside my department so I could see another maybe staff room that I might not go to. And then I found out who did the cake rotor in that department too. My goodness, I spend a lot of time in the science department. There's a lot of them. And I love, I love this little slice of cake and a sneaky cup of tea. But more, I love that I've spent my time with somebody. I've got to know somebody. And I've actually got to have conversations with people I didn't know I could have something in common with or someone I didn't get to catch up with very often. And so I made meaningful connections with people I didn't have that opportunity to do if I didn't have that job. To complete. The second thing that really helped me get a better work-life balance was prioritizing. Oh, yes. Now, I, I was never a good prioritizer because I was one of those teachers that always felt like every single thing I had to do, everything on my plate was vital. And the reason I thought that it was all urgent and immediate and so important was because I always thought if it was directly for the students I was teaching, then... It, it was essential. If it was for other members of staff, then it was really important because I wanted to be able to give my best to them. And if it was coming at me from above, like from senior leadership, it was really important that I did it because I didn't want to get sacked. Yep. And I was never going to get sacked. That's, I mean, that's preposterous. 
I'm a really good teacher and I, I, you know, we give and we give, but in my head, I was like, I've got to do all of these. There isn't something that I can drop because they're all, all critical. And I'm much better now at actually looking at stuff and going, this is important. This isn't so important and, and making those kinds of, of decisions. And I guess that's also because I'm a little bit more secure at, at knowing my value and, and my own worth to an organization and thinking, okay, if I, if I don't do something, I'm probably not going to get kicked out. And there are plenty of people around me who aren't doing stuff and they still have a job. So I'll, I'll probably be all right. I say this to kids a lot because you just said, I'm okay with it, with my experience. But actually, I say to kids all the time, because as a student, I was last minute, Larry. Oh, I could just pull out my backside and just get the job done. Probably do a better job if I tried a little harder. But even when I did spend that little bit more time on something, I still got the same outcome. Therefore, why would I do it any sooner? Just personal stress. You thrive under pressure. How many people have told you I work better under pressure? That's because you're putting it into the urgent and important box here. And I say to kids all the time, you are a teenager. You are making choices to revise this way. Here is some fundamental information. And I often throw out that Eisenhower matrix of urgent, important, not important, not urgent. Because I say, if you can change it now and be someone who wants to do a bit of revision now and a little bit later, or maybe that that thing you haven't got to do for the next two weeks why don't you just do a little bit each night and you won't get really stressed by it change it now and I always say otherwise you'll end up a bit like me I've stopped saying the end bit so much because I don't do it as much anymore because I've realized that in my not important not urgent box are all the things that look after me and just like everybody else, they're really easy to throw away. And as teachers, we throw away the stuff that are just about us because it doesn't matter if we don't do something for us. It matters, as you said, that people above me get it. My colleagues get it. The people I'm mentoring get it. The kids get it. And so all of that stuff just gets done. And then you run out of time for the things you have for you. So I've started being better at that. And I've learned to use my boxes a bit better. And I'm so glad that I keep drawing these boxes. My mentor in my first ever placement actually introduced me to those, those that matrix. And ever since then, I've tried my very hardest to keep using them because I wish someone had told me that as a teenager, I would have been better all the way through university for sure. Call those stressful nights in the library. Woo! What I do instead is I have a, a well-being box of the fourth, like the bottom right-hand square of my Eisenhower matrix is well-being. So rather than taking things away and not seeing their value, I will actively include things in the well-being box, whether that is go to bed early or whether that is go for a walk around the garden or have a weekend off or whatever it may be, but they're positive, tangible, active things in that box rather than things that I've lost. Does that make sense? It makes so much more sense. It's evolved through life. And I'm so glad that through the newsletter as well, you can have a little gander. There's a lovely visual. I'm so glad that throwaway box isn't a throwaway. I'm sick of throwing away, going to the gym, cooking myself a meal, going to bed. 
going to sleep a little bit earlier. Like I've just gone, no, don't worry about it. And it's been thrown away completely. That's half an hour, 40 minutes of just time where I've carried on marking when I shouldn't. And it doesn't have to be a massive thing. Like I love to pop back in that well-being box, like go to the gym. At the minute, I'm really struggling to fit looking after myself in. Or make sure you've ordered a shop so that you can cook something from scratch instead of eating something at the freezer or even something at school. Like I'm okay completely with popping into my matrix that I might, instead of sitting near the kettle that's in the building I work in, I'm going to potter over to the staff room and hope I bump into somebody who can just have a little chat with me. I had a lovely impromptu conversation with someone on Friday while we were both sat by the kettle in the staff room. We weren't expecting it. And because it filled that box for that afternoon, for that day, I felt so much better. And it definitely didn't do the jobs I had on my, I should probably have the time to complete this. But I still felt so much better. Still had the same amount of work to do after the conversation. But I had filled that glass back up and that was really nice. I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a favour. We know that teachers around the world enjoy this podcast and we're proud to offer ongoing support and actionable advice to educators worldwide. If you're already one of those teachers and you haven't already liked and subscribed to the podcast, then please take a moment now, if you can, to do just that. It makes a huge difference to our reach and it helps us keep this podcast free so more teachers can become part of the Marigold community. From both of us, thank you. Right, let's get back to today's episode. So now we've talked about how we shift our mindset around and it's really important to realise that it's okay that you might not be able to do that by yourself. Nothing wrong with a buddy. So a little bit about accountability, not just your own accountability, but maybe a little helping hand. What have you got, David? Yeah, accountability for me was a huge one. And when I realized just how out of balance things were, I pretty instinctively immediately knew that there was no way I was going to fix this on my own. And so it really boils down to two things for me. The first is goals, setting some really clear, non-negotiable, they can be simple things, just goals for work-life balance. So maybe, and get this, right? This sounds ridiculous to anybody outside teaching, doesn't it? I'm going to stop working at nine o'clock at night. That's a goal. The goal, David. Or I am not going to work on Saturday. Or uh, more pertinent to me was, I am going to actively do something else other than teaching. Massive, David. Having something outside of it. Remembering that other people have hobbies. They have clubs or they... I joined a band. That was fun. And that's... Do you know what? It's brought joy because creativity sparks joy anyway, obviously. But I have to do it because the other band members can't rehearse very much without me. And so it forces me to say, yep, I'll be there. And they're my accountability. It's so lovely. I had a message the other day because I was a little bit late out of lunch because I'd stayed behind with a student. And I got, come on then, because I'd agreed to go for a quick walk to grab something in in the city centre. And the come on then message was so helpful because I could have just said no. I think if you're going to set goals and you're going to achieve them, they've got to be sustainable. 
And for me, and I think for a lot of people and for a lot of teachers, the way to make those goals sustainable is to have somebody there who is holding you to account and who is reminding you sometimes when you're kind of lost in the middle of it all, why you've set those goals because you lose sight of it all and is strong enough and has the right relationship with you uh, that they will be able to make sure that you stick to that. And that's why so many people fail with things like exercise routines or diets or anything that has to become a habit or that takes you out of your comfort zone. And for me, overwork was comfort. It wasn't. It, it felt like it was. That's a complex thing to unpick. But like it felt like it was the comfortable place to be. But when you zoom out, it really wasn't. So it's hard to come away from it if you feel like it's of value or of benefit to you. And so when you're trying to get a new habit going and you don't want to break it, you often need somebody there to pull you out, to prompt you, to keep you under control and to keep you on track. It can be anyone as long as they have, like you said, the power and the trust and the relationship with you to do that. And that's entirely okay. You can have it as a family member. You can have it as a friend. You can have it as a coach, regardless of what type of coach that is. And you know that they're there for you. And that's something that is really hard to appreciate until you've got it there and you realize what a lovely security net and, and person you have fighting your corner. All right. How are we going to sum this up, Rebecca? Well... I think summing up work-life balance is just as hard as trying to manage your work-life balance sometimes. Massive work-life balance for loads of teachers because sometimes you can be doing the best things but it's really hard in the school that you work in or the colleagues that work around you that make you feel like what you're doing is impossible or you're less of a teacher because you don't take your books home until you fall asleep in them. But you know what? You're allowed to have balance. You're allowed to have a bit of time for you and you're allowed to say no. For me, I think it's, it's about those three core elements. And if I was to sum it up, I would say it's about finding a personal value to you in all of the things that you do, whether they're your work or whether they're your, your life, as it were, and so that there's less of a divide in a way. It's about prioritizing your workload in such a way as to put the focus on your own well-being, and it's finding people and things that will hold you to account and make sure that you sustain your pathway through finding a work-life balance. All right. So we are at the end of this week's episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. And look, thank you for everything you do day in and day out. Teaching can be tough. It can be lonely and it can definitely be exhausting. So if no one else says it, thank you for being a teacher. Your inspiration. And if you enjoyed this episode, well, look, the chances are you'll enjoy the next one too. So like and subscribe if you can. And sign up to our free weekly newsletter, The Flourishing Teachers Field Guide at marigoldteachers.com. Did you know it's packed full of tried and tested tips for teacher well-being? Until then, remember that your most important obligation is to yourself. You're awesome. And we want you to stay that way. So. We'll see you next time.